Okay, welcome back to Only Trying to Help, the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Dr. Kate Watson, and I'm so grateful that you decided to join us today because we have a great episode for you about good old comedy and tragedy. Humor is something that we've covered before on this podcast, and today I'm revisiting the topic with one of the funniest people I know, Lisa Sharon. Lisa is a friend of mine who is no stranger to comedy as a performer herself, and we're going to speak about the use of comedy and tragedy in our lives. And let me just start by saying this. Many of you know that I am working on my first book called Only Trying to Help. And in it, there is a chapter on well-meaning humor. And while working on the book, I found this quote by Robin Williams. And the quote goes like this. He says, The bad thing about being a famous comedian is that every now and then someone approaches me to tell an old joke. Don't tell me jokes. I have that. People also say the weirdest things, sometimes sarcastic things, and even evil things. They like to provoke to get a reaction. Now that's the end of the quote, but let me repeat that last part. They like to provoke to get a reaction. Folks, sometimes humor hurts. I've been thinking a lot about the use and perhaps misuse of humor, and we'll get into that today, but before we do, just reading that Robin Williams quote made me want to reach out to Lisa, who is perhaps the biggest Robin Williams fan I know. I know that his death had a huge impact on her. And I called her up so we could chat about really this dark side of comedy. But before we get into that, I want you to just hear her speak about her hero, Robin Williams. Robin Williams was one of my childhood heroes. You know, other than my parents, of course, he was just somebody I looked up to. He was somebody, you know, if he was on television, whether it be his raw comedic style or, you know, voicing um, the genie in, in um, oh my gosh. Aladdin, um, yeah. How, there we go, wow. <laughs> Just everything that he did was magical to me. Even mm-hmm. like the stuff that was weird, like one hour photo, that movie was a weird movie. But even <laughs> that was magical because it had him. And I just looked up to him and because I've suffered with depression and anxiety my whole life when he died I felt that like a small part of me temporarily of course mm-hmm. had kind of had kind of died too because I just felt that I had connected with him when you look up to somebody and and then they're and then they're gone even if you don't really know them you feel like you know them through their work yeah and you want to know something interesting it's like you know I've lost all four of my grandparents. And of course their deaths were awful. It's a little sad to say that I was 
more affected by Robin Williams' no, death. No, I know. A gentleman that I have never met mm-hmm. versus my own versus my own fa- versus a family member. But that's okay because I don't think there are any rules to how you grieve. And and I think it but will yeah. help. I think it will help a lot of people, Lisa, to hear you say that because even though there are no rules around grief, and even though we can say that and say that, society still built some damn rules about grief, and they're stupid and they suck. But the rules are you're supposed to care more about a family member's death than a celebrity, you know? And like, that's a dumb rule. And if I could make it go away, I would make it go away. And I think what will help it go away is hearing people like you say, no, to be perfectly honest, Robin Williams' death shook me to my core in a way that no other death did. And I'm I'm just gonna be honest about that. And I, I think you're helping people by being honest about that. I have dates, certain dates of the year that whenever they come about, it, it strikes me a certain way. And you know how Facebook has Facebook memories? Yeah. Which let me tell you about Facebook memories. In my opinion, it's a blessing and a curse because, you know, sometimes there are memories you just don't want to be reminded of. But yeah. that's okay. You look at it, I mean, at least Facebook has this option. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have this option where if you really want to, you can take out certain memories from reoccurring. But it's funny, every year, I get re- reminded of two things <laughs> Robin Williams' birthday, oh. Robin Williams' death, and just other Robin Williams things that I've posted that have nothing to do with it, just like funny things or whatever. And even to this day, I still have a moment of like, like I need to, you know, collect myself, but then I'm fine. You know, when he first died, I, I was not fine for a few days. I was pretty distraught because I felt like I had lost my own hero, you yeah. know, but now if a memory pops up, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I can look at it, appreciate it and move on. In fact, now I can look at, you know, if I, if I see a movie of his or if I listen to his comedy, I love his comedy and you can just listen to it and I can laugh. I, I don't, it doesn't make me sad. It's not like I, it's like, I, I feel like he's, he's there with us again in the room and mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful thing. Um, that's the, that's the greatest thing about a memory. You know, you can take advantage of the memory and take it the way you want to take it, or you can just let it kind of, I don't know, visit you like a butterfly, you know, sit upon your shoulder and just kind of say a quick hello and then move about with your day. Have you ever seen the movie? Um, it's a Jim Carrey movie, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I have. Wow. You know, bringing about that movie, it's been a long time. Yeah. So what's up about that? Well, I just was thinking about it as you were mentioning Facebook memories and and how you uh, how you receive memories of Robin Williams that might be painful, might be happy, whatever it is. But the point of the movie, there was a procedure you could go through to have your painful memories removed. And kind of what you're supposed to take away from the movie, I guess, is don't do that. You know, hang on to painful memories. They're part of you. They they make you who you are. And as much as you think you want to hit delete on things that hurt in your past, it's it's best not to. And, and I won't give away any more than that in case anybody would like to see the movie. But the way you were describing memories of Robin Williams and kind of noticing noticing them like a butterfly going by, I thought, you know, it just reminded me of that movie that maybe we don't need all the hurt and pain to be deleted 
it's good to remember what hurt. It's good to remember what felt really joyous and lovely and keep it all. Absolutely. And um, about a year ago, I went to two cemeteries, uh, one to visit one set of grandparents, one to visit another. And I went to their grave sites. You know, they were two sets, of course, like I said, buried together, which, you know, was common, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had a conversation um, and it was, oh my God, it was such a beautiful thing. And I felt so rejuvenated and I didn't even feel, I don't even think I shed a tear. Well, maybe I did shed a tear, but the, the thing about grief is it can really be a beautiful thing. Yeah. As weird as that sounds, it's beautiful memories and I don't know, just, but there's so much more to it. It's not yeah. just about being sad. It's about kind of feeling it, feeling the whole, um, feeling it all throughout your body, as weird as that may seem. Yeah, and there's a, there's a philosophy that grief is really just love. Yeah. You know, when you when you stand at a gravestone and you cry over someone you've lost, you're really just expressing love. Yeah. yeah. And when you put it like that, it almost makes it a little, you know, it's like it makes it a little easier to deal with. Well, that was just a little clip of my interview with Lisa. And we are going to hear more, <clears throat> particularly about comedy, not just the tragedy of loss, but... I wanted you to first hear her describe her admiration for Robin Williams and also the mix of grief and joy that she feels about him now. I love that. If you think about it, folks, love and grief, comedy and tragedy, joy and pain, these things feel like opposites, but they're really just two points on the same spectrum, not even that far apart. And I personally found such beauty in Lisa's story about grieving her own hero. And so often we hear people throw around that phrase, beauty is pain. No, I think pain can be beauty if you can look at it that way. And it's okay to sort of lean in to some of the dark stuff in life if you're brave enough to do it. And that's really where my conversation with Lisa went next. And I'm going to share that part of our conversation with you. But first, let's just take a little step back. Folks, Robin Williams was a comedian, a funny guy. And he was a comedian who suffered a great deal in his life. Mental health, addiction, um, physical pain through a, a diagnosis that he had. And you will often hear people talk about how comedians get famous laughing about their own tragedies. And I guess I want to pause on that before we hear Lisa say more about Robin Williams' struggles. It's been researched widely that comedy can serve as a kind of drug for pain that people feel. And like a lot of painkillers, People who feel a lot of hurt inside, a tremendous amount of pain, can get addicted to the pain-killing effects of comedy. And also, a lot like drugs, you can develop a sort of tolerance where you need bigger and more outrageous and more shocking humor to get the same impact. Maybe even as you're listening to this, you're thinking about comedians you know 
who really started to up their game in outrageous comedy, perhaps alongside some pain in their own lives. And I guess what I want to say is that if you're relying on humor to be your medicine through tough times, fine. But know that there will come a time when the jokes just can't give you the high that you need to feel better. And a lot of really funny people hit that wall at some point where there just isn't a joke funny enough for the pain that you feel. I was reading about a guy named Roy Johnson, who's a part of a group called Comedians for Suicide Prevention. And um, he was talking about comedians who commit suicide. And he said, oh, it's just part of the business that you get used to. Wow. And he elaborated. He said, it's a thing. It's a real issue in the business because part of what drives people to do comedy for a living is some kind of deficiency inside of you, he said. And he said this kills a lot of people. Listen, folks, philosophers and psychologists have studied this since the beginning of time. And honestly, we don't really know what drives people to comedy. So maybe Roy Johnson is correct about the deficiencies comedians feel. Or maybe that's just his opinion. I won't pretend to know. But I will tell you that Roy Johnson said he once had his own stand-up career that was on the rise. But he left the business because in a span of nine months, he became what he called, quote, a basket case. And he wound up in what he called a very bad place. You know, I I continue to read a little bit of the research in this area. And and there's not much. But I read about a 1975 study um, at New York Medical College. Uh, Let me just see what it says here. One of the earliest psychological studies of comedians Completed in 1975 uh, of, of New York Medical College, surveyed, surveyed, excuse me, surveyed 55 full-time successful comedians. And the researcher found that 80% of them had sought psychotherapy at some point in their lives. Personally, I don't even blink an eye at that. I, I wish the number were 100%. I, I happen to, I'm biased, but I happen to believe everybody should be in psychotherapy. But here's, here's the part that struck me as a little bit more interesting than that. The researcher commented that the comedians repeatedly expressed the fear that if they were successful in therapy to the point at which their suffering was relieved, they would no longer be funny. Hmm. And I know we've been talking about things that are really heavy, like suicide and depression, but more broadly, the International Journal of Cardiology published data to support the comedian's frankly, die younger than people who are not comedians. And we're not just talking about suicide here. We're talking about overall lower life expectancy. So I don't know, is laughter the best medicine? (laughs) I mean, maybe sometimes, but certainly not all the time. And so with some of that information in mind, why don't we revisit my conversation with Lisa to learn a little bit more? On Robin Williams, I guess I was wondering, like, do you feel like he was really misunderstood in life? I do. I do. I mean, like I said, it's reading about him and watching him and paying attention to him, even his body movement and his energy. He was, he had happiness. 
Yeah. But he was also a re- he was also a really I think he was a really sad person. Mm-hmm. Not that not that that was such a terrible thing. I mean, he had this gift, and with his gift, he capitalized on it. Listen, he made a really good living for himself. Sure. But I think that with his former you know drug addiction and alcohol addiction, he was definitely a damaged soul. Something that. I tried to do when enjoying his comedy or enjoying him in a movie. I was trying, I would, I would actually try my best to not think about how he was damaged because I wanted to enjoy him. I wanted to be present with him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't want to think like, well, where is this energy coming from? I didn't want to be like psychological with him. I just wanted to enjoy him. Um, but he always. It actually goes to show you, of course, that's important to make people happy, but I think one of the biggest issues was he was spending so much time making others happy that maybe he, maybe he wasn't working on himself, and maybe that's ultimately what, you know, you just wonder. It's like maybe his life could have been longer. Maybe something could have been better if he had more... He had more downtime for himself or whatever, but who knows? Yeah, I'm not going to think I know, you know? (laughs) Right, right. We we may be taking a few liberties, and and we both want to be careful about that, I know. I I guess I bring it up because I'm I'm holding, like, two thoughts at the same time, and they kind of conflict. One is the movie Patch Adams, right, where, like, the premise of the movie is that laughter is healing, and or at least I think that's the premise of the movie, <laughs> but like no, definitely. And and laughter is the best medicine, and and this gets us through tough times. So I'm holding that on one hand, and then on the other hand, here's a guy who may have had a lot of sadness and a lot of pain, and maybe maybe at times used drugs and alcohol, maybe at times used comedy to kind of mask it rather than heal it. Um, and I'm guessing we don't know, you know, we're, we're, if he were here, we could get a better sense, but, um, where I'm going with this is, you know, I already did a whole episode on the podcast about like when humor might be used in the wrong way, like, you know, to mask pain or to derail a conversation. And I guess I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that, like times where someone's using comedy and maybe maybe they shouldn't like maybe they should be as you just said taking care of themselves maybe they should be just grieving or feeling their real emotions and i i feel a little bit like i'm planting ideas in your head so i might stop <laughs> but just see if that no, no, sparks no, okay. anything does that spark anything for you you know it does it really does i think for myself when i've been feeling sad or just on edge or something, I'll, I'll go to comedy mm-hmm. to get me away from that. But sometimes, I don't know, you know, I feel like I, sometimes it might just not be the appropriate time because sometimes things are truly not funny. I wrestle with that and I say to myself, if you're given a choice between crying and laughing, as long as you're not, you know, doing anything terrible to somebody else, for me, I think laughter is uh, the better option. Mm-hmm. But yeah. so there's, there's obviously the appropriate time to be funny or to try to be funny. So I have a group of friends and we're on like a group chat, you know, like a group text. 
and we check in once in a while. And there is one person in the group who I hope doesn't listen because this person might be like, oh, damn, that's me. Um, But there's one person who will just like drop a bomb on us, right? Like he'll just come to the group chat and be like, um, you know, I hate my life and I think my marriage is over and I'm probably going to lose my job. And we all react, right? We all react like, whoa, oh my gosh. Like, what do you need? Like, what can we do for you? And we're all showing up for him. And I think he immediately has regret about sharing all that. So he starts cracking jokes. And it's really, it's really difficult for me because I feel like he just dragged me in one direction and then dragged me in the other direction. Like he dragged me to pain and grief and trauma and then real fast yanked me over to Happyville. And it's like a roller coaster ride that I don't want to be on. And personally, I want to be like, dude, either ask us to be your friend and sit with you in pain or tell jokes. But like, you can't go back and forth because I'm getting whiplash. <laughs> and for me, I, I think it's kind of a strange use of humor. Like, like he drops a bomb and then makes a joke about it. And I don't know what to do with that, Lisa. It leaves me feeling so confused. Like, I don't know what to say. And somehow I feel kind of used, you know, like, like what's he doing to us with all this? Um, so anyway, that's kind of my example of comedy that I feel like doesn't serve us well and seems like he's just masking his own pain and confusing the hell out of his friends. And it doesn't seem to be helping. Well, you know, I can actually, I think I can actually empathize and sympathize with him because there have been times, see, you got my juices flowing, thank you. (laughs) There have been times, there have, no, seriously, there have been times where I've been that person, you know, to to share something dark. I think I I would say something, something dark, and then maybe I would feel uncomfortable about talking about it. Yeah. Even though I shouldn't just say, oh, it is what it is, and tap dance off to to stage left. (laughs) That's a good image. That does feel like that's what he's doing. Like, he drops something dark, and then he tap dances off to stage left. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, the show's over, kids. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think it's possible that they're sharing this and then not wanting to simmer on it. Because sometimes when you simmer on something that's, uncomfortable it stops working Uh, you know maybe they also feel that they don't want to continue burdening yeah that's what i think it is maybe this person feels that way maybe he feels and yeah you know what you make me think of somebody such as a comedian you know uh you know they want to show the darkness but then they also want to take it back because they don't want to bring people down Mm -hmm. and that's what a comedian will do and that is what your friend is probably doing and that is what I've done I'll be honest with you Mm -hmm. um you you put your you put yourself out there and then you realize you're standing there naked yeah okay okay great I'm done now let me put my clothes back on and let's let's laugh about something stupid yeah ignore it I I really like the way that you described it as feeling naked because I once sent him a private message not in front of the whole group and I and you know there was a little bit of chit chat back and forth. I didn't just dive right into this, but eventually I said, "Hey, I wonder if you felt a little exposed earlier." 
And he just said, yeah, like just one word, you know, because I think I was re-exposing him. So he was like, not not really that interested in having that conversation. But you're describing it as naked, Lisa. And I used the word exposed. I think we're on the same page that he just felt a little bit like, okay, everybody's seeing my shit right now. Uh, I, I got to tap dance off to stage left. <laughs> totally take this out of context and share this around social media. (laughs) Oh, it's true though. It it is true. But I've been on your side as well. I've totally been on your side as well. When somebody is sharing something, hold on for a second, keep your clothes off. I want to be able to, you know, poke at your nipples to see what's going on. But then then they feel that, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, understandably so that that can be the best option for me and I think Mm -hmm. for a lot of people but I get it I get both sides of it I really do so I I think if I can bring it full circle you know if we're talking about whether it's Robin Williams or comedians in our lives I feel like sometimes people turn to humor because they think they're taking care of those around them by making them laugh Um, but it might Mm -hmm. be that they're taking care of themselves by making us laugh hmm I think you're absolutely right. I mean, listen, I can't speak for anybody except myself when I say that when I make somebody laugh, it feels really good. Yeah. And it boosts my serotonin. And yeah. I think, but I think for comedians, professional comedians, I think they should, I think they are who they are and are damn good at it because they themselves are dealing with so much pain. Maybe mm-hmm. not all of them, not all of them. Let me, you know, I don't want to make a blanket statement that's going to get me, you know. But it seems like a lot of them. <laughs> seems well, like. I think of a lot of comedians because there's such a thin line between comedy and tragedy. Yes. I mean, you know, that symbol, that theatrical symbol, the, the comedy tragedy, the, the yin and yang, there really is such a thin line. Yeah. And it's the saddest person to make somebody's day better, then hopefully their day is getting better as well. Yeah. You know, hopefully it's it's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for the comedian. It's a win for the audience. It, because making somebody laugh, obviously, I mean, laughter itself is, is, is a boost in serotonin. It's such a great feeling having that, that ha-ha-ha, not just that, that impish smirk, but having that that hearty giggle that stems from your stomach, giving you that stomach pain, you know, oh, it's just so good for the soul. Well, I really cannot thank Lisa enough for her time and her ideas. I really feel like I have a lot to think about when it comes to this idea of masking pain. And when I'm out in the world 
trying to be there for people. I'm going to be thoughtful about not using comedy like a drug to cover up discomfort. And I'm going to watch out for the times when the people I love may be misusing humor to mask pain. And I won't know for sure. This is all very confusing and we cannot read each other's minds, but I might be doing a little bit more checking with people. Like, hey, I appreciate you being lighthearted here. I often know that's that feels good. I also want to tell you that if you need to just kind of be in a bad mood right now, I can handle that too. Folks, with that, I'm going to say goodbye. As usual, you can email me at kate at onlytryingtohelp.com and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram using at I was O-T-T-H. That's the handle for Twitter and Instagram. Again, is at I was O-T-T-H. O-T-T-H stands for Only Trying to Help. Until next time, friends.